is The MS Show, the weekly podcast for people impacted by multiple sclerosis and home of the MS Action Takers. I'm Bron Webster and I've been living with MS over 25 years. Together with MS experts and real life people with MS, I'll be sharing tips and stories that will help when the MS gets real and inspire you to be an MS action taker and get in charge of your MS life. Hi, welcome to today's episode of the MS show and we are moving on to explore early retirement, stopping work, pausing work, all those things that we might have enforced on us or we might actually choose to do when we live with MS. So I'm joined by Roger. Hi, Roger. Hi there. My name is oh. Roger Cook. Uh, I was diagnosed with MS formally in 2001 after bad double vision and other things you can't see. Um, and here we are today and I'm very lucky to be here in this podcast. I'm very grateful to you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Roger. And we've also got Maddie with us. Hi, Maddie. Hi, Bron. Um, I've very recently been diagnosed with MS and it's all been a bit of a sudden shock because I had no idea, absolutely nothing, until um, I started getting numbness in my face back in January and they suspected I'd had a stroke and then it turns out it wasn't a stroke, it was MS. And as somebody who's very active, like physically and mentally, it was all a bit of like, whoa, what the hell sort of thing. So it's, I've been on a very uh, rollercoaster ride over the last few months, get my head around having MS, what MS is, and um, what potential my future might look like. Yeah, absolutely. So let's have a, a sort of a discussion around... Um, how long after diagnosis you faced stopping working, retiring, whatever we're going to call it, or how long after diagnosis did you start to think about stopping work? Um, so, Roger, for you, what's what's been sort of your path to where you are now? What's your current situation? Well, like I say, I haven't formally been told I am medically retired but um, like I say I was diagnosed in 2001 a month of that I'm not sure about and um, after my degree in Glasgow in aeronautical engineering I've been that time I was working in a power station uh, and then I came across a job these systems in Farnborough in 2002 and with MS or not ignoring the symptoms I had I took the job on I got it and I stayed there a couple of years and I was getting itchy and I saw a job in Malvern, uh, and uh, I thought, okay, it's a, it's a change, it's a challenge. It's closer to home in the northeast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I took that on board, and it was uh, enterprise architecture, pretty much is what it was, and it was blooming hard. And with that, where I worked, who I worked with, no offence to them, it was exceptionally stressful. And we know that stress and MS don't get on particularly well. And after approximately, I think, about 16, 17 months, the symptoms were going off the scale. And I had an opportunity to return to the Northeast because my sister wanted to trust a tenant, tenant, sorry, her words not mine. And I thought, okay, this is an opportunity for me to, to leave. So I did. I left with the franchise, expecting that, hoping that would keep me going mentally or whatever. Unfortunately, that didn't work. Thereafter, I spent 11 plus years looking for any kind of work I could do. But with MS, didn't work. And my consultant told me three years ago now, um, to Roger, looking at the MRI scan, the damage at the front of your brain and the side, that's your cognition damage and your fatigue levels. You're not really going to work again, are you? And that's it. I started laughing in truth because I knew the reasons I hadn't been achieving to get work. So it's kind of a, not perverted relief, but it was, and as such, I haven't worked since. So that was yeah. three years ago. Yeah, well, that's a lie. I haven't worked since 2006 is when I came to the Northeast. So that's 15 years out of talking now. But you were trying, sounds to say well, you were trying different so. things. Yeah. yeah, I was trying everything I could. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I am okay. MS, I've volunteered with MS Society, etc. since then. 
and there are other things I'm not mentioning as we talk about, which could, slim chance could, be slimly, mildly, financially benefit to me. Financially? Benefit. Beneficial. Yeah, possibly. Okay. Some things that you're investigating. Always, yeah. Shouldn't. Yeah. And so, Maddie, this is all very recent for you. So what sort of work are you employed to do? Because you're still working, aren't you? Yeah, well, um, just to give you a bit of sort of like background, um, me and my husband are extremely fortunate that um, we had a, I had a um, inheritance a few years back and we bought a little flat down in Cornwall because we love it down there. I've got family down there and we'd always ultimately plan to move down there in our 40s was always our kind of life plan. So there was always something that was on the cards. And um, obviously I've very recently had this diagnosis and I'm 40 in a couple of months. So it almost feels a bit like now is the time to do it. But then the question is, well, what about work and everything else? So that's kind of where we are. So I work, I'm an accountant at a local authority. And as you all know, local authorities have had major cutbacks over the last 10, 15 years. And the job is getting more and more stressful because we don't have the staff. The demands are higher than ever because of obviously all the cutbacks. Everyone's wanting to financial help in sorting out their budgets. All the councillors have got demands about, you know, are we within budget? And if we're not in budget, it's like every, everyone's like, it's just madness. And um, I was getting stressed anyway with work, which part of me thinks that's what's brought on this relapse that has led to this diagnosis. So I'm thinking, well, is now the time to move down to Cornwall? And I'm sort of considering because my husband he works for open reach so yeah. um it's a national nationwide company so he's already spoken to the manager down there and there looks like there's a good possibility that he'd be able to get transfer so we'd have at least one stable income and then i'm considering um retraining to do bookkeeping which um because my I, I am a chartered accountant but it's a specific public finance accounting qualification so you know, things like um, corporation tax and that side of it is, is kind of like not an area that I've got any expertise in. And I'm thinking, well, if I retrain to do bookkeeping and maybe set up my own little business, I can then take on as many or few clients as I want. And I'm probably going to have to sit some exams, but they'll, theoretically, I'm thinking there probably should be a bit of a doddle for me, given my nearly 20 years experience working in, in you know finance. So um, that's kind of like where my head's at at the moment. But obviously I've yeah. got a lot of fear around what the future holds, which with, as you know, with MS, you know, who nobody can tell me. And that's been a real struggle for me. Nobody can tell me what the future looks like. You know, so like working yeah. for local government, I've got good sick benefits, good HR policies and all the rest of it, but very, very stressful and it's probably no good for my health. Start my own company. I can work as much or as little as I want. But then I've got no net if the MS gets worse. So that's yeah. kind of where my head's at at the moment. Yeah. Okay. So there's an awful lot that is unanswered for yeah. you at this yeah. point as well, Maddie. Yeah. So, Roger, how have you coped financially? Um, like I say, um, I was looking for what transferred to be Lockheed Morton in my last professional job. And I left there. I was in an okay salary. I can't complain too much about that. And I had a couple of months due salary when I returned, all that being 15 years ago. And that kept us going. And thereafter, pretty much I hate to see it benefits. Yeah. So, so using them best I can, honestly, best I can. Yeah. Um, and so you've really had to have a big sort of lifestyle change Massive. with you. Yeah. And how does your MS affect you physically? Is it, are you now classed as progressive? Are you... I, I'm, Relapse and remitting is what MS I do have. And okay. yes, we've kind of put down on, on paper years ago now as aggressive remitting relapse and, and thankfully touch wood, etc. Um our 11th year anti salary. And that's Say that again, sorry, Roger. Sorry, um, this is now uh, my 11th year on Thai salary, I believe. Oh, okay. And Marty, I don't know if you know of Thai salary, it's a treatment. Yeah. It's good. And yes, that was after I've been on re um, rebirth, which didn't do anything again I'm unnecessary detail that's that um, that's okay we can have a discussion about different I've been on Ruby yeah in, so um, basically that's helping me that's and I'm, I know I've been a gym bunny 
but it's a positive for me from COVID, the lockdown situation. Um, I took it on myself and I've done a lot more things at home than I was doing in the gym a bit with a very good resource in Northumberland as well. So physically keep myself okay. I should walk more, granted I still can, but not as far as all as can. So yeah, there you are, so my physical discovery is okay, thank you. Okay, so that's all right, but it's obviously your cognitive function yeah. that has sort of really affected your ability. Unfortunately, John, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so um, I think it's worth pointing out that when, <laughs> when these great people are joining me on this podcast, we're doing it on the understanding that, you know, what you can duck out of this if you're not up to it. <laughs> so it's just anybody that's listening in and saying, well, these people, you know, are saying that they've got cognitive issues or they've got fatigue issues, but yet they're all on a podcast. Yes. And we're on a podcast because at the minute, because the sun is shining and we're feeling okay, but it's not always this way. So I just wanted to get that in there. So... Yeah, I spent yesterday asleep on my um, parents-in-law sofa, so, you know. <laughs> and it's unpredictable as to when those days are going to hit yeah. us, isn't it? Yeah. So how has it affected who you see yourself as being? I think for me, like I said, it's all been very, sort of, like, over the last few months, it's all been a bit of a shock to, and get my head around it. But I've always been, like I said, I've always been very physical, I've always been like, I've, I've run the London Marathon twice. I go running, I go sw- uh, you know, swimming. I, I walk everywhere if I can. You know, I, I do drive, but if it's within half an hour's walk away, I'll walk rather than drive. Um, and work, I've, you know, I've built my career up. So I started as a trainee accountant in the local government when I was left uni at 21. I'm now nearly 40, so I've had nearly 20 years working my way up and are now sort of middle management level. And... Um, you know, and I've always been pushing myself, pushing, pushing, pushing. And now I just kind of feel like I've hit this brick wall and the me inside me still wants to push, but um, I can't. So, for example, swimming, I used to bomb up and down the fast lane, doing front crawl, doing tumble turns. I wasn't the fastest in the pool, but I could hold my own in that lane. And then I went from that to swimming in the slow lane, doing breaststroke, because if I did front crawl, I got to the end of my, it made my head spin. And now, um, even when I, when I do breaststroke, after I've done about six lengths, my left leg doesn't kick out properly. So I get slower and slower. So where I used to do like 40 lengths front crawl, I'm now doing 20 lengths breaststroke with the last one, like six months, six lengths being sheer determination to carry on because I'm that kind of person that thinks I'm going to do 20 lengths, I'm going to do 20 lengths. And there's me poodling along. And you see the people like running up and down, bombing up and down the fast lane and I'm like, that used to be me and I can't do that anymore. And is that mental adjustment has been really difficult for me, you know, because yeah. in my head, I want to do, you know, I want to push myself. I want to do that. And you start feeling that you start, it's really hard for me not to beat myself up about that. And that's what I'm having to learn to accept, which I'm better now than I was a couple of months back, but it really is a difficult process. And then it's like thinking, well, if I'm not that person who pushes myself and constantly, then who am I? I and that applies that at yet. work. <laughs> Yeah. That applies at work as well as in yeah, your... Yeah, because, again, um, it's like I, ma- I manage sort of like three or four people under me. And like I said, I've got a very busy, stressful job, constantly going from emails to phone calls to helping other people do stuff. And, again, I, I'm not the sort of person who can just muddle along at work. And I think that's when I did sort of like go back to work for a phase return very briefly. And I really struggled because I knew what they wanted from me. I knew what they needed from me. And I couldn't deliver that. And work were fine, like, they, to be fair to them, they've never put any pressure on me. You know, they said, oh, you know, just do what you can do. But it's like, I can't do what I used to do, you know. Yeah. I, and, you know, it's like, I can't, like you said, about the cognitive things, it's things like um, prioritising, planning, working out who's going to do what. And, you know, and sort of people are saying to me, oh, when's this going to get done? I'm like, I don't know. I can't contemplate how long it's going to take me to do this. Yeah. And so it's, a massive, it's a massive change, isn't it? Yeah, and that's um, been quite that's really hard for me to deal with, to be honest. But it's it's still as you as you've recognised, it, it is early days yeah. for you from your diagnosis perspective. 
yeah and I haven't started treatment yet so I don't know again because it's all new to me I don't know once I start treatment what impact that will have whether that will have any improvement or not so yeah it's just a and there are so me many more things it took me eight years to accept my diagnosis yeah um it took me having a five-year career break after I'd given birth to recognise that actually I'm so much better when I'm not working and I'm so much better when I'm controlling things. But as time goes on, I a lot of what you've just said, I recognise a lot of that cropping up. So I can only focus on one thing at a time. I can only do one thing at a time. Um, and, you know, it's hard when you've, when you've worked in that kind of fast-paced environment and then you can't so yeah and I don't want to kind of battles. work knowing I'm not doing as well what I should be what I would normally be able to do you know even if yeah. work are absolutely brilliant and all the rest of it I know myself that yeah. I'm not delivering what I would like to deliver and yeah I thought that's gonna be a big hurdle to get over which is why I'm thinking about my career choices yeah um and Roger what have you sort of noticed around um stopping work and how that's affected your self-identity that's a massive question for two reasons um you said it took you eight years to get to grips with your diagnosis yeah mm. i was six i believe before i started to be open with it shall we say and um, then i was back six years think. yeah six years yeah, yeah which kind of ruined my 20s in essence as well at the time i was looking back now i know i was depressed regarding the situation I was in, living a life I want. Uh, so the acceptance of the MS diagnosis after the six years, then the change. Did anything, is it questions being looming on me now for quite some time? Having seen my first counsellor about three years ago, and her question to, to me was about my identity. And I still don't know the answer to the question, I'm afraid. So I can't be any more truthful with yourself regarding that. Apart from, yes, um, the work I mentioned, possible work I mentioned, which could be beneficial. It's been, it's, there's no fraud involved at all because of the benefits I'm on. Um, so I think it's called permittable get or whatever. That's around MS, which is a good thing. Because the fact that yes, I'm now kind of qualified as an expert MS patient, if that's part of my identity, so be it. Because I'm, yeah. I'm therefore being useful, helpful to others, which I like being in that position, using my experience. So yeah, so, yeah. Is that a paid? Is that paid work? It, well, hopefully it will be. Yeah, a little bit. Yes, but under the perm perm permission of the permitted work, even though it's it's still, I think the maximum 140 quid a week is is the top you can get. And yes, I got okay. I did get some between four, six weeks work between end of December and sort of February, I think. Now I got a little bit, and if that continues, that's better than nothing for both yeah. myself and those who look to benefit from the world. Yeah, and so doing that kind of work, and like you say, maybe that's becoming part of your identity. You are now expert MS patient which I am also, but it sounds like you've done kind of a qualification that's helped you with that. I can't say I've got a qualification in it, but yeah, you're right. Well, some kind of, yeah, some kind of learning with it. Mm. Um, so MS has become a massive part of your life, whether you like it or not. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah, and your identity. And I think for people that are considering what they're going to do, what their options are, part of that needs to focus on to what degree do you want to be consumed by MS? So I know a lot of people say that they don't want MS to take over their world. And I absolutely get that. And then I think, well, what am I doing? So I've got a Facebook group. I do an MS podcast. I do I'm an MS expert patient tutor, all unpaid. Uh, they're not jobs as such, but they're the things that I'm doing. And it is consuming my identity as well. 
And it's very difficult to think at what point am I somebody different? And I don't think I can be. You know, I don't, I think I am that person with MS that does these other MS type things. But I have tried a lot along the way uh, since giving up my career. So the big thing that I learned from giving up my career was the need to look for something that generated a residual income. So that is an income without working. Um, and there are ways that you can do it. And we have got a portfolio of properties that I rent out. Um, but because of my MS, I can't get involved in the day-to-day -day activities. So I lose a chunk of my income paying for a, a letting agent, so a ma management company to do that. But it is a dependable, reliable income that comes in, assuming my tenants pay. So it's obviously got issues. And the other things that I've looked to do, um, I'm also part of a network marketing company as well. And there are lots of network marketing companies out there, but there aren't many that pay the way that the company that I'm involved in pay. So I have done absolutely nothing on that business for the past 18 months. But because of the work that I did when the, when the health sun really shone, they carried on paying me and they carried on paying me. I've had about 200 quid a month. And that to me is, I class that as a residual income because I'm not doing anything for it. Um, and these are some sort of deliberate decisions and strategies that we've put in uh, so that it's trying to find something that is, I think it's when you're working for somebody that it feels so much more pressured. You know, you don't feel well, you can't go in and you're going to ring up and say, I'm not well. The guilt that that triggers when you're saying that, it's just, that is sort of a downward spiral in itself. So I identified that and thought, right, I've got to change this. I can't be employed. And Maddie probably relates to some of what you've been talking about. Yeah, I was going to say, that's kind of what my thinking is. Like, I know running your own, being self-employed isn't an easy option by any means, but I'm thinking it does give me that option to take on as many or as little clients as I want. I can work, if I'm having a good, feeling good at like 10 o'clock on a Sunday night, I can work then and then spend the day Monday sleeping. You know, I can work to my work, do the work I want to do in my own, the hours I want to do it. And I'm not letting anyone down apart from myself and potentially future clients if I've got to cancel on them at the last minute or whatever. But um, like you say, I feel like that will give me some kind of control. And that's, I guess, what I'm looking for at the moment, because as you know, there's a lot of stuff you can't control with MS, which I'm like yeah. quickly learning. And, you know, I think that would give me the flexibility I would need. Um, but yeah, there is that fear about being self-employed and what that, all this like um, pitfalls there are with that as well, in terms of not having that net, um, safety net underneath you. But um, I also think it's um, important as well. I mean, I know I'm extremely fortunate that I'm not having to worry too much about money. I mean, long term, yes, but I can afford to take a couple of years out, try try to up my own business. If it doesn't work, try something else. And I just feel I just think there must there there must be people out there who aren't you know who aren't as fortunate as me who get this diagnosis and don't have those options and are either forced to return to work when it's not the best thing for their health but they've got no option or sort of like live on benefits um and I feel for those people I really do because I'm f fully aware how fortunate a position I am in yeah it's um it's just it's not something that is easy to spend time considering mm. um 
And something that I think sits at the top of all of it is thinking about you as a person. What do you want your purpose to be? What's most important to you? So before even thinking about um, what you're going to do, it's about starting with you and thinking, what is my purpose? Um, and what do I want my legacy to be? And my purpose, for example, is to help 20,000 people in the MS community. However, however I help them, you know, it's, it's having that bigger purpose. I don't know how I measure it, but that's what I want to leave is whatever I've created, whatever I do, that's the benefit. And it's looking, it's quite a big question to answer, thinking about what is that purpose? Um, and then how does that fit with what I'm doing? And, you know, just thinking about what, what I'm doing and how can I always make sure that I'm aligning it to people that have got MS or people that have got some kind of accessibility problem because it's constantly evolving. So I've got that as a target, but then I'm thinking, okay, my properties really should be accessible properties and I should really be working in that community so that I am heading towards my purpose and my greater goal. So that's a kind of, that's a big thinking piece to do alongside coping and making those day-to-day -day decisions and thinking about how can you make this purposeful so that I think the feeling of worthless or the feeling of having a purpose. Um, and for me, it was really important that I felt I'd got a purpose in whatever I was doing. So I yeah. don't know if, if thinking about that, and I don't know, Roger, if that's something when you were seeing the counsellor was it an ms counsellor that you were seeing it was there's a what was a counsellor uh, sorry counsellor a council type counsellor link uh, called maybe national i don't know talking matters i don't know if it brings any talking what sorry matters. talking matters yeah yeah it could well be um sort of a national scheme it is um yeah, did that did you do any work around, because I know you talked about identity, did you do any work around purpose? Possibly a few years ago, but yeah, I think did run, yeah. I think yeah, but it's a big question and I wouldn't ask, I wouldn't ask you to think about it now, but I think it's, it's quite easy when you've not got employment and you've not got that focal point to feel lost and to think, what is it that I'm doing? Um, and when I first, I decided to give up my career, um, I was in a head office in a, a, um, an international bank and it was highly pressured and I couldn't keep pace and I decided that it's too stressful, I'm going to give it up. And I actually started off doing nothing and then I worked out that doing nothing is not helping me at all and that's when I knew that I needed to understand and have a bigger picture as to where whatever I did was going to fit. So, so what sort of things, Roger, did you do on a day-to-day -day basis when you were facing that? Well, what am I going to do now? Well, I did try. There was a, a franchise called National Legal Services that does that long gone now. It's called and National Legal Services. National in Legal Services. In June, the end of the tenure, my working tenure with Lockheed Morton, I took holidays to go and do training in Sheffield for said role. It wasn't that good, but it, did about, it was about Wills, by the way. And so when I came back here, uh, was, I was 28 years of age. I did do research around the area, how I could employ such knowledge I'd, I'd gained, etc. But it was tricky because I knew, and now I know, now that that job was doubly hard due to the cognition problems I was experiencing, let alone the fact it was a hard work in a stressful environment, working hand in hand against me. So I did try and do that best I could. Sadly, it didn't work. Like a CAVA went post, I went post as a result. Thereafter, I was trying to get the grips with my situation with MS, 
And what I can do, what I can't do, I spend so much time, I mean, seven days a week, looking and applying for jobs, whatever I could. I could. Things went far from engineering, far from enterprise architecture, anything, and getting nothing. So my role then, my purpose was to get a job. I've only accepted, I would say, in the last three years, even though it's in the background, that I do not have to work because of my condition. Not like, oh, hey, I'm going to work because I've got a mess. Yeah. Far from. I wanted to, I've always been a worker, a grafter, but now I quite simply cannot, as I used to. So I had to utilize what personal skills I've got being MS to be of use. I've been volunteering with MS Society since I kind of came back then. More so, I got into the role on the committee with Newcastle Gateshead. And then I've moved to North Tyneside as the housing safety volunteer. So I have experience others won't have had without being in that role on top of my own experience. So, yeah, so that's my kind of what I do. I've done. And it gives you a purpose. It does. On a day to day basis. Well, yes, it gives a purpose, right? But it's not enough when you want to do more which you can both relate to, you want to do more, but you quite simply can't, like you could. Yeah, you know that you can't do it anymore mm. and that that's affecting your choices and the cho- the ever-decreasing side of the choices, size of the choices that we have with MS. Yes. Um, and I find yeah. that's the frustrating thing I'm having is that in your head, like when you're talking to yourself in your head you feel no different you know in my head I think yeah I can swim up and down that fast saying yeah I can do all this stuff at work and why why can't I do it you know like you think I'm just being stupid of course I could do that you know what you're doing and then it's like you just can't and that's like a real bit of a head mess up for me sort of thing to very politely but it's kind of thinking well I I know I can do these things but then I can't do them yeah and it's almost having you have to adjust your expectations of yourself. Yeah. I think that's when it gets really, that's a really difficult thing to do, yeah. is when our life's realities don't marry up to our expectations, yeah. we're on dangerous territory at that point. And I think trying to make that adjustment of our expectations, and that's like that's what Roger was saying, that's exactly what, Roger was saying when you said you came to terms a couple of years ago with the fact that you're not working, can't work, you know, you, you tried different things and it's reaching that expectation of yourself, yeah. whether it be when you're swimming in the fast lane. Um, and it's saying that, you know, actually, although I can still swim, I'm going to have to learn to go slower and reduce that expectation or actually I if I'm going to do 20 lengths but the last six are always ridiculously hard going I'm going to start off at 14 because I know that at 14 lengths for me that's having an effect on my body and that's not good and so the best thing I can try is working with 14 and then going to 15 and then building it up really gradually and it's it is such a change to move from where we were to what we've now got to do yeah and I think for me like going to, going back to that identity is that like I said I've always pushed myself so like you know career woman you know I've always been like the biggest you know we don't have any kids but it's me and my husband you know I've um, more money than him I've been the bigger breadwinner in the house and now I'm kind of looking at a potential future where he's going to earn more than me and I'm a lot more reliant on him and that kind of like goes against who I am if that makes sense I'm not trying to be like oh I'm I'm special because I earn more than him but it's just knowing that I've got that personal security that if he decided to have an affair tomorrow and leave me it's fine I've earned plenty enough to look after myself and now I think I'm becoming going to become more dependent on him and that's a real Again, like that identity thing of that's something I've got going to have to get used to and get my head around and be okay with that. Yeah. I put forward a word to kind of hopefully putting what you were saying, Ron, what you were saying yourself, Marty. Acceptance. Yeah. It's a massive word. Yeah. 
and I think it's hard to get your head about to that point. Like I have some days when I'm okay with it, and then I'll have other days where I'm just like so like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it is frustrating. Yeah, and but everything that you're saying is it's to be expected, and it's totally, it's totally the norm when you live with MS. Yeah. And you know, you are doing amazingly considering it was what January. Yeah when when you got this diagnosis yeah. so you're already thinking about so much more yeah. well I think because so, I'm off work on sick as well I've got that like you were saying when you're on maternity leave you've got that time to think about things because it took me a good couple of months to kind of like stop thinking about work and then my brain you know and obviously with the especially with the, like, the sun you know, whether I've been out in the garden doing a bit of weeding I mean it took me like four days to weed one patch but I got there <laughs> but um you have think like you say you've got thinking time and then it's time to reassess well do I have to be on this career treadmill are there other things I can do and I think it's having that giving yourself that time and everyone kept saying to me oh you just take time take time and I think that's now starting to obviously I've still got a lot to work through and I'm you know but having that I see what people are saying now I've had that time to clear my head and think things through and think of wider options that it's not just this career sort of like life you know there are other options in life and yeah. in a way it's quite fun to explore those different options that's brilliant to hear yeah 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 and um so maddie your employer i'm guessing with it being a local council yeah. they've got ill health retirement access to your pension yeah they do i've i haven't spoken to them about it but i've kind of like because funny enough one of the things i do is do the um, pension fund account so i know a lot about the pension and the investments in the pension fund and the accounts of the pension fund. In terms of the actual benefits. Well is it performing well is it not performing? <laughs> uh, but um yeah exactly so um but in terms of like the um, benefits i don't that's not my bag but um i've started looking into it um because i've got six months full pay six months half pay sick leave so everyone's saying to me oh you know you, you you've given them enough over the years you know and not, I'm, you know take the sick leave as much as you can and then I think ill health retirement there's different um stages there's different um tiers of it so depending on whether you'll never work again or whether you'll be able to work again in three years time or whatever so I'm not sure and like I said I'm sort of like nearly nearly 40 so I'm still quite young from the pension side of things so, and obviously knowing how much of a strain it puts on the pension fund finances, if somebody takes early retirement at that age, <laughs> um, is whether I'll be eligible or not. So, and again, it's because the MS is so unpredictable, I'm not sure yes. I'm going to know, like Roger, you're saying like, you know, you've tried working different things and, you know, I don't know whether I'm going to be able to work or not, or, you know, it's, it's like, you, you wish, I just wish I had a crystal ball, which I'm sure everyone <laughs> with MS does wish they had that, because, you know, you just yeah. don't know, do you? I'm working on one for a new invention. <laughs> yeah. So I think taking the pension, if you do get sort of, um, if you stop work through ill health, is a really interesting consideration. Um, I didn't at the time. I Probably I was serious enough, but I was still denying that it was affecting me. But, you know, I was like, oh, but if I go part time now, that will affect my final salary pension scheme. So that's the things to look out for. Or if I was worried about things like not getting the maximum out of the pension scheme when you've worked somewhere for a long time, or if I claimed it, I wouldn't ever be able to work. So there were different restrictions that are worth understanding from a pension scheme perspective, if that's something that you're concerned Yeah, no, that's like, kind of like, that's sort of same thoughts I've had, like, looking at it and, yeah, like you say, like, you know, you're thinking about what you'd get when, when you reach retirement age, you know, like you say, reduces if you take stuff now and it's a lot yeah. to think about. That's worth to me about three grand. So when I retire retirement age i'll get about 40 quid a week from that at the same what is time, that that's b pension b systems pension it's the what pension sorry uh, b-e-b-e-e systems oh b-a-e british yeah. aerospace 
yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I've got like three grand in that pot from when I worked in Farnborough. So when I retire, get retirement age, whatever it'll be in 30 years time, it'll be worth not a lot. At the same time, in 30 years, I might be dead. So it's no point we got it. I try to put that worry that we're discussing now, not worry, but who knows in 30 years time. Yeah, that, you, yeah that's kind of the thoughts I've had because um, one of my colleagues, bless him, he, um, he lost his wife a few years back. And he said him and his wife had all these plans for what they were going to do when he's, they're retired. And, and obviously she's not around to do all those plans that I had. And so he said to me, you've got to live for the moment. Yeah. So part of me is like, yeah, I want to live the moment, screw the future, do what's right now. But then in the back of the head, you're thinking, but if I do get to that age, I need to make sure I've got plans of how I'm going to survive then. So it is kind of like a balancing act. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And again, we need that crystal ball. <laughs> we need a crystal ball, but we. <laughs> it's it's trying to make the decision as to what to do now. But I think if you've got an ill health pension, that is a bit of a safety net, as well as would be fighting your case to be on a redundancy list if you can. You know, if that's something that's going on in your organisation that might be something that you could look at yeah well they're, they're doing a lot of recruitment at the moment rather than redundancy so that's oh, something that's going on at my place at the moment unfortunately <laughs> so, but there are all these things that to weigh up you know yeah. do they want to make people redundant what happens if you take an ill health pension um what does that mean for your future options so yes it's a nice safety net but it might have limitations going forward. But I am very much with you in terms of you've got to live for the moment because we can't see what's around the corner. We can't see what's going to be happening next. Um, you know, so it's it's really difficult to decide what what's best and what to do. And I do regret the fact that I didn't go down the ill health retirement because I'm now waiting until I'm 55 I think, before I can start taking anything out. So the financial aspects, I think, play a massive part, as do the psychological aspects of the identity of giving up work and what is your purpose and therefore how are you going to prioritise what you're doing. But there is this really important thing about how can we make hay when the sun is shining on our health and what can we do to benefit ourselves moving forwards and I think self-employment offers a little bit of that for sure Roger what you're saying you do your um, MS society bits and pieces which gives you a purpose but presumably you're also able to do more when you're feeling really good and do less when you're not. Correct. So it'd be nice to get some kind of income on the it's back of it. <laughs> yeah. It's been like a couple of regular income of sorts, but yeah. Yeah. So it's looking at for me, it was about having something that provided residual income, i.e. not working at all to get some money but also the ability to then when I'm in a good place that's when I'm going to make a bit of hay and finding so it is a little bit like you're saying Maddie with changing what you do things do you have your own business are you a bookkeeper that you can can kind of pick lay go up and down depending Um, And you might find that you go through better times in the year than others. I don't know, Roger, how it's how you find things. But I find from around about April, basically when the sun shines, I find that my MS tends to be much, much better than when we get into the dark months. I've always said I preferred the cold to the heat. And I kind of still do to a certain regard. But... I've also said more recently than that, from an MS personal perspective, when it comes to temperature, extremes get me. If it's blooming cold, 
not good. They're exceptionally hot. Definitely not good either. I've also had hay fever, hence me. I mean, summer sometimes don't gel that well. Yeah. Um, yes, it's easier to sit and do nothing in the sun. If you, if you can do nothing, that doesn't make sense, sorry, because I can't do nothing. That's my mantra, I can't do nothing. Um, <laughs> but I'm glad you function better in the summer. Do I, in comparison to winter, all an offer is possibly. I can't give a guaranteed answer, so I don't know. Yeah, sometimes I wonder whether or not cause that's the message I tell myself, then that that's like fulfilling, um, like the, the flow of the psychological messaging. Yeah. I'm telling myself that I do better in the summer, therefore I do do better in the summer. Well, I've just um, thought, sorry, but in West, West is still there. Um, thinking back to autumn, late autumn last year, then the aches and pains start to hurt more over yeah. winter. So that's a positive for summer. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something that you notice. Yeah. Yes. So I tend to, I do hibernate. And I think there are not many jobs, if I was looking for a job where I could say, yay, I can come and work for you, but it's only going to be between April and September. Um, so it's trying to look for how you can find something that fits with when's good for you. But I do wonder the people who have, because I'm considering, am I going to kind how do I feel? Do I want to stop everything that I'm doing? And there's a part of me that does. And I'm just wondering, can you, <laughs> is it possible to ever stop being involved in the MS world? I need to talk to some people that aren't on Facebook, don't I? I need to talk to some people that are not part of the active MS community because actually they've retired, but they're doing something else. They've just discovered, you know, the true meaning of retirement. Maybe I need to get some people like that and they can help me on another episode that's related to this. Um, because I do wonder if I got a life that was by the sea could I just really do nothing would you get bored though I would <laughs> yeah that's something I don't think I could but we all have the same sentiment it's quite weird for it, in that we can't do nothing like I think you. it's almost like a personality trait yeah people that have got MS yeah people I come across maybe it's just because it's self-selecting group because the people that I see on the community are wanting to do stuff and wanting to be active and not prepared to give in and not prepared to be on the back burner, that they're the people that I see. And it feels as though that's part of our condition. I think that fear as well, is it, that if you give up, you'll get worse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't think we can ever stop. No. Um, could you see, Maria, I agree. Um, those who stop go down a lot quicker than those who don't. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, thankfully, you've got a lot of willing participants in your group who are there mm -hmm. by choice. But I know several people, because I'm quite involved in have been MS communities, uh, sorry, communities in the Northeast for another quite a few years. There are more negatives than positives. So you'll be able to find, yeah. So don't They're the people that you you encounter. Yeah, so don't assume MS makes people want to work. Not as in, because I know that's not the case for everyone. Right. So you have encountered people that have gone down. Oh, many, many, unfortunately. It's like if any of them would be willing to talk. <laughs> I sincerely, I can't say they wouldn't. I can't speak of other people. Of course we can't. However, I've quite frequently, especially going back 10 years, whatever, um, once you get in that negative spiral of going down, it's very hard to try and help them come back up. Yeah, oh, yeah, and I guess they're in a different. Yeah, they're in a different community, different MS community, maybe. Or non. Yeah. Or non, because they're insular. Yes. So they. So do you think the ones that you've come across that are like that, Roger? They they stopped working. One thing question, mostly yes. 
Yeah. And you've accepted that condition and you've let it blossom. Yeah. That's that. Yeah. Now, different people, um, I'm just sort of, I think I did when I used to go to a, an MS therapy centre probably about five years ago. I think there were some people there that had got more of a uh, more of a negative attitude and things were being done to them rather than them taking the action. And I'm finding that, um, again, obviously I'm newly diagnosed, so you know, not only is it new to me, for me, but it's new for my husband, it's new for my parents, getting their heads around it. And it's like, things are, you know, I'll be like, oh, I'm going to walk to the shops. And everyone's like, would you want a lift? Would you, would you like, you know, are you sure that's a good thing? I could pop to the shops for you if you want to. And it's like, no, I'm going to walk to the shops. And it's kind of like trying to get other people to understand that if I could do something, I'll do it. If I can't do it and I need your help, I will shout. And it's kind of like trying to kind of like get people to understand that. Like I said, it's a learning experience for, you know, all my nearest and dearest. So, you know, but that's something that I'm finding that with me, because I always push myself, I'm very much like, if I could do it, I'm going to do it. Even if I have to walk slowly and it's going to take me twice as long as it's normally take, I'm going to do it, you know, and yeah. try to kind of like convince everyone that that's what I want to do. <laughs> you know, I might look like I'm struggling, but I want to be struggling because I don't want to give up and just let you take me everywhere or do everything for me. Yeah, yeah. Can you hear you walking to for you? Can you? Are you, are you are you sure? Are you okay? Yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And well, I know I thought, it comes from a good place, and I know it's because people care and love me, but it's trying to, you know. And, and it's I also think, because they don't know. Yeah. Yet. They yeah. feel helpless. Yeah. And it would be so easy be to turn and go if I was of a different mindset, say, oh, yeah, please take me. Oh, yeah, please do this for me. And then, like you say, it's that downward spiral. So, you yeah. know. Yeah. My, my daughter now, um, when we go to London, we sometimes go to London and be tourists for the day and get the train down. Sometimes we go down and take the blue badge. But she says, Mommy, I don't like it when you come with us. She's 13, by the way. So she's just entering teenagehood. Um, I don't like it when we go to London with you because you slow us down. Because basically she just wants to get to Covent Garden <laughs> or wherever she wants to get as quickly as possible. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I'm coming. <laughs> I'm going very, very slowly. <laughs> and I just say, look, you and daddy just go. You just go and leave me. I'll get there when I get there. Yeah. But she's now said to said to her dad, don't even ask mummy again because it annoys me. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, it's just it, it's just coming to terms with those things yeah. and accepting that, yeah, I might want to do it, but actually in Kew Gardens, my husband and my daughter said, look, there's a wheelchair you can use for the day. And I said, right, you're going to push me for the day, but they enjoyed it. Yeah. And so I made the change because it was in their interests. Um, so it's knowing when to pick those battles as well yeah so it's not it's not easy at all and it doesn't help that my husband's six foot two and got long legs so like it'll, it'll be he, he kind of like he forgets good you know he strides ahead you know cause i used to be quite a quick walker as well so like you know and he strides ahead and then turns around and goes oh where are you and there's me like half, halfway down the road sort of like struggling along i'll be there soon <laughs> however the quick walking isn't so quick these days. I'm six two by the way. Yeah. But we're keeping going and that's what matters. Yeah. And we've got a positive attitude to it. Yeah. But these are big life decisions. So I did want to ask you, what do you think is the correct name that we should be applying for when we stop work because of our MS? Do you think it's retirement? That's tricky. Depends on how you stop working. I mean, can you clarify what you mean by stopping? I think the point at which you are no longer employed. Definitely. Indefinitely. Um, so I guess retirement is like the correct terminology, isn't it? That if you're no longer going to work. But I guess our visions of retirement are being in our 60s, you know, 
grey hair, whatever. And if you're not, if that's not you, is that kind of like, it's like early retirement, isn't it? But I don't know what other words you could use, really. I mean, I've only recently-ish, in the past, let's just say, yeah, when it's come to any kind of question from whoever about whatever, I've accepted that, yes, I am 43 years of age and I'm medically retired and have been since I was 28. Just, it's a sad story, but it's a fact. And that was not done by choice. I trust you that. I promise you that. Yeah. So, yeah. so medically, medically retired is what you tell people, is it? It is, yeah. I mean, because you see, uh, retired could be early retirement by choice because you don't have to work. Mm-hmm. As you said, Marie, um, mm-hmm. or I don't know. You just said retired, therefore, or reti- medically retired is a type of retirement. So, yes, if it, yeah, Bill, retired could not be too far from the truth. Or oh, is it just an extended career break? <laughs> <laughs> sabbatical, I yeah. think I heard somebody yeah. say. Yeah, are we on sabbatical? For the rest of your lives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just yeah. Yeah, ill health retirement, I think kind of I guess stops people expecting the silver hair and all the rest Mm. of it but I just wonder what they expect to see if somebody is ill health retired that's something that sits on them yeah their beliefs and their their, their mindset not ours we know why not we all but said person could be um, medically retired I'm not retired, retired due to ill health at whatever age. Well, you look fine, but we know that's not the case internally. Yeah. And that's the whole thing about MS. That's the whole invisible symptoms piece, isn't it? And I think that's part of like you said earlier about the acceptance, which obviously I'm still in that process, but accepting yourself that, you know, ill health at the time, you think of something in a wheelchair, completely paralyzed or whatever and you think well I'm not that I'm still walking I'm still you know and then you kind of feel like well am I, am I just copping out of career and it's kind of like accepting yourself that you might have invisible symptoms that other people can't see but that doesn't mean you don't have them mm. you know and like you say you're thinking sort of like medically retired you think you can't physically do stuff you know, you're in a wheelchair or whatever. And I can imagine thinking about myself personally, saying I'm sort of like giving up work and sort of saying I'm sort of medically retired, but then walking down the street and everyone can see me walking down the street looking like nothing's wrong. Mm. I'd feel, you know, feeling like, you know, thinking you're, people think you're a fraud or feeling like you're a fraud. And it's those sort of issues that you've got to come to, you'd have to come to terms with. I think. And would it be easier to call it something else to those people? Yeah. Or yeah. Having some time out, reevaluating life. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what the right answer is. It's a case of what feels right for you in terms of your acceptance of your condition. It's what feels right for you. And I think, Roger, you were absolutely spot on when you said their belief is their belief their perception is their perception and do you know what we've actually we've got enough on living it without trying to help everybody else understand in total agreement with that is that you not i mean like the bigger you has to be more selfish yeah i'm not a selfish person i don't believe either of you are a selfish person when it comes to Dealing, living, accepting your condition, you've got to be more selfish. Mm. Let them think there's not one with him or her. They're walking. Yeah. MS is nothing. Yeah. That no, you're right about that. And and that feeling of selfishness then then can lead on to then feeling guilty about feeling selfish. Yeah, I don't mean being so don't I'm not a selfish person. I don't mean being no, no, no. But your actions by their very nature, have to be yes. somebody else can perceive as selfish. Yes. Sort them. Yeah. 
yeah. But it's not easy, is it, to be able to say, oh, well, Sodom. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not. However, um, you've got to, I mean, like I say, I've lived with this, as we know, we all, we, we both, we all have, um, and I've accepted it best I can. And if it's going to upset the outward court of him, her, whatever, tough. Yeah. It's yeah. It's you've got to you've got to look after you. And you know, damn what else anybody else thinks, really. Um, and we can't worry too much about that. We've just got to take the action for us. I know it's all easier said than done. I know that. And yeah. we all like that aforementioned crystal ball. Thanks for the reward. However, dare I say, upon initial early diagnosis, that crystal ball is glowing. It's calling a name. But after X years, you think, what would be, would be. Yeah. To a certain regard, by living with the condition, I mean, yes, I'm a thoroughly strong believer that exercise is very beneficial with MS. And I, I do do it and have done it kind of nice. Actually, yes, on purpose, I enjoy it. I'm no Jeff Capes or whatever you want to call him. He's best you know, I'm no superstar, um, but I feel better for it. And that's me selfish. <laughs> but if I, can, if I can be less of a hindrance than anybody else, that's a good thing for them. Yeah. Um, so, Roger, tell me a little bit about when, in relation to MS, something that for you, when did your MS get real? Now I know the symptoms I was experiencing before diagnosis were indeed MS, without doubt. Um, I would say that was after I graduation in 2000. Unfortunately, I hadn't got myself a graduate job lined up then, and I was briefly back with the parents. Um, and I was working here and there, got three different jobs. But I knew that combination of the depression I was in now thinking back and more, more kind of thingies my fingers weren't working as it should have been I couldn't talk as well all these little th things coming together that was when the shit got real even before you knew it was MS yeah because yeah that's another and then the double version of clear as day as well that was pretty shit in a word for yeah yeah, thank you for that. It's always useful to hear the shit stories as well. So, Maddie, if you could be anywhere in the world, pandemic aside, where would you choose to be? I would be down in Cornwall because I love Cornwall. I feel like at home at Cornwall. I love the rugged coastline, even when the weather's rubbish and the wind's flowing through your hair and the rain's slashing against your face. I still love it down there. Um, so it's our little bolt hole. So I've been in Cornwall. Um, in terms of what I'll be drinking, I haven't yeah, had any alcohol. I haven't had any alcohol since January because since I've had the spinny head with the MS, I'm a bit nervous about drinking alcohol again. I'm, <laughs> yeah, layering I'm, anything else on. Yeah, it's kind of like I feel like I'm drunk half the time anyway. So <laughs> I don't really want to add to it. But um, so if I was drinking, I'd be drinking Jack Daniels and Coke, which is my uh, poison of choice. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd be in a um, one of my favourite pubs in Cornwall. Um, but if I'm not drinking, I'm a tea addict. So I'd have a cup of tea in a flask and I'd be sitting yeah. on the beach with my hands around a cup of tea, looking out to sea, slurping <laughs> tea. <laughs> oh, sounds good to me. That sounds good. Thank you for that. Thanks, Roger. And thanks, Maddie. Thank you, Ron. That's a really interesting conversation. It was, yeah. Thanks ever so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for listening to today's MS show. Please, can you help to grow the audience? If you can subscribe, rate, review this podcast, it all helps. And if you'd like to get in touch or just send me an email, you can do that by emailing hello at multiple success dot co dot uk the address will also be in the show notes